Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be able to be together again in this way. You know, a couple of weeks ago in our campfire conversation, the topic of sorrow and grief came up. And that just kind of had me thinking a lot. And I thought this morning we might expound on that, if that's okay with you. I mean, sorrow is not the kind of thing that we look forward to. It's the kind of thing we try to get out of as fast as possible. But what if God actually uses sorrow in our lives to reveal brokenness? Like what if when we're not going through a difficult time, what if when we feel happy and healthy and whole, that we're actually really broken. We just don't see it because everything's good right now. And God uses sorrow to expose the brokenness in order to bring healing to our soul. God uses sorrow to expose brokenness in order to make us whole. Can anything good come out of sorrow. We want, to talk, we want to take a look at that this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer first, okay? Father God, we desperately need you. Like God, I know I've always needed you, but in this time, like I feel that a lot more. I need you, God. And would you come Holy Spirit and teach us from your word today? Would you help us to understand this? Would you, God, give us strength to be able to extract as much juice as we can out of this time of sorrow in order that we would be the men and the women that you have dreamed for us to be. And God, I thank you that right now in this moment, although we're not all together in the same place, so I invite you right now to come into our living rooms, come into our bedrooms, come into our cars, wherever it is that we're watching or listening to this video, I pray God, come in, enter in, Lord. We need a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit today. Thank you, God, for this word and what you're going to do with it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Fortunately, the Bible does not sugarcoat the tough stuff of life. In fact, we have one entire book of the Bible devoted and completely to processing sorrow. It's the book of Lamentations. So while you're looking up that book, let me just give us a quick background and history to it. The book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in the city of Jerusalem at the time when the nation of Judah and Jerusalem reached its end. In other words, Jeremiah lived to see the death of his nation. Can you imagine how painful that must be? Have been for him. Jeremiah lived in Jerusalem when the Babylonian hordes came and ransacked that city, not once, not twice, but three times. Jeremiah witnessed and he lived through all three of those attacks. He saw the atrocities that the Babylonian hordes committed against his own people. And what's worse, Jeremiah saw the destruction of the temple 
of God. They completely wiped it off the face of the earth. And Jeremiah has to process all of that sorrow. And fortunately for, fortunately for us, he wrote it down. Before we get too deep, we need to recognize, let's give Jeremiah a little bit of love, okay? Because Jeremiah was an incredible writer. In fact, the book of Lamentations, as a literary masterpiece, it stands out in a class all by itself. You see, it's actually five acrostic poems made into one. Meaning this, Jeremiah took the Hebrew alphabet, which had 22 characters in it, and with each character in successive order, he started the, new li the next line of the poem. So he did that not once, but five times. Now, just to kind of get a feeling for how challenging that would be, why don't you try it right now at home? Go ahead, like try to, try to take the English alphabet, A through Z, and make a poem that starts with each line starting with the next letter of the alphabet, A all the way down through Z. And it has to make sense, like that's the key. You can't just throw words together. It has to actually say something. Jeremiah did that not just once, but he did it five times. And if you'll notice on the third chapter, it's three times longer than the other four chapters. That's because for that chapter, Jeremiah used three stanzas per Hebrew letter. So the other thing we need to notice about this poem is that it's a chiastic poem, meaning that you need to start with the center. The center is the important part, if you will. The center is the conclusion. And then the chapters one and two, chapters four and five, they actually are supporting the conclusion. And so the middle is the, is the meat, if you will, of the poem. And so this morning, if it seems like we are scatterbrained, it's maybe because we are, uh, because we're going to jump between chapter one and chapter five, chapter two and chapter four, and eventually we're going to work our way into the heart of chapter three, which for this book forms the conclusion, actually. And chapter three is the part that everybody likes. Whenever Jeremiah gets brutally honest as he processes all of the pain and the sorrow that he experienced. And he serves for you and me as an excellent example of how to extract the most benefit, the greatest benefit from a time of sorrow. The first thing that Jeremiah did was, Jeremiah surveyed the actual damage to the city of Jerusalem, like the literal damage. Look at Lamentations chapter one, verse one. Jeremiah writes, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She was a queen among the provinces, but now has become a slave. You see what Jeremiah does? Jeremiah opines the downfall of the city of Jerusalem, that she once was a queen and she has fallen and now she is a slave. Not only does he survey the literal damage to the city of Jerusalem, but he surveys the damage to the people, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lamentations chapter one, verse 11, he says this, all her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. 
If you go over to chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it gets really dark. He says, those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food. I mean, that's ugly, I admit. But yet, that is the reality that Jeremiah was facing. And so Jeremiah wrote it down. It's the actual damage. You have to do that. The third thing he he surveyed was the actual damage to their way of life. He says this in chapter 2, verse 6. He says, He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed feasts and Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. You see, the king was gone, so their political structure was destroyed. And the priest was gone, so their religious structure was destroyed. And so you have, you have their, their politics gone, their religion gone, their economy gone, like every aspect of their way of life as inhabitants of Jerusalem was destroyed. And Jeremiah has to start by surveying this actual damage. And this is an uncomfortable step for us to take, but we really need to do it. It's necessary. We need to take a hard look at the actual losses that we have experienced in the last nine weeks. We, we have lost great things. Maybe it's my bank account is not nearly as fat as it once was. That is an actual loss. Perhaps it's the loss of, of a, a loved one. That is a very real, actual loss. Perhaps it's the, the loss of, of a special family event, whether it's a graduation ceremony or it's a, a retirement party or it's a junior, senior prom um, or it's a wedding or, you know, we, we've lost these actual events and these actual special family times. And so that's, that's something we've got to take a look at. And so the first step for you and me as we process sorrow is to take a look at the actual damage. This is what I have lost. The second thing that Jeremiah did was Jeremiah surveyed the impact of the damage on him. Look at Lamentations chapter 1 verse 12. Jeremiah says this. He says, is it nothing to you all who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? Over in chapter 2, verse 20, Jeremiah asks, Look, O Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Down in chapter 5, verse 15, Jeremiah says, Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. You see, that's, that's an impact of the damage. Our dancing has turned to mourning. Joy is gone. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. Why, O oh Lord, do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? One of the impacts of sorrow on our soul is loneliness. 
And it's the thing that surprises us the most. That even if you have friends that come around you, even if you're surrounded by loved ones in a time of sorrow, you still feel lonely. You still feel like you're the only one who's going through it. One author calls it terminal uniqueness. It's the sense that I'm the only one that nobody else can understand the depth of sorrow that I'm currently feeling right now, despite the well wishes of others. It's just that it's, a, it's an emotional impact on our souls of a time of sorrow is loneliness. And Jeremiah is expressing that, you know, he, he, he looks around and he says, hey, nobody sees, nobody sees what it's like to be me. Like, what was it he said? He said, is any suffering like my suffering? I love that question. I've asked that before. Nobody else feels what I'm feeling right now. I love how Jeremiah gets so real with it. He really does. Sorrow can have an impact on how we relate to other people. We feel alone, but it also has an impact on our relationship with God. You know, we would like to think that during a time of grief and sorrow that God just feels so close, right up against us like that. He's embracing us. But can, can I be honest? This is not the experience of many people who go through grief and sorrow. Many people in sorrow experience the distance of God. They don't feel like God is close to them at all. It's one of the impacts of sorrow. And Jeremiah actually expressed some of his strongest language to express his feeling of abandonment from God. We see it in the in chapter 3. And um, if you just go with me to chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. I'm not going to read all 18 verses, but we'll just sort of skip through it for the sake of time. But here's what Jeremiah says. Now, I'm going to warn you, it's not pretty. But, um, but Jeremiah is really expressing the, the angst that he feels at the separation of God from him. So, Lamentations chapter 3, we start with verse 1. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and he's broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, God shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Look at this next part. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, God dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and he made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. 
Look at verse 16. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped from the Lord. Look at verse 8 again. He does, he shuts out my prayer, he says. Look at verse 11 again. He dragged me away and he mangled me like a bear lying in wait. Look at verse 18. Everything, everything I had hoped from the Lord is gone. I mean, that's a bad day. I know that I've been there, haven't you? I have had those moments in my life when I felt like even God had turned his back against me. And I've asked that question, why aren't you answering me, God? Why does it seem like my prayers just bounce off the ceiling and they don't go any further? God, where are you? One of the most difficult lessons that we have to learn in our friendship with Jesus is that there are some things that he can only teach us from a distance. I don't understand it and I don't know why. And Jeremiah is expressing that and Jeremiah is saying that one of the very real impacts of the damage around him was the fact that he felt like he was the only one experiencing the suffering and that even God himself had abandoned him. And so we survey the actual damage, we survey the impact of the damage, and then we come to the third thing that Jeremiah did. And this is equally as uncomfortable. I guess the whole journey is uncomfortable, to be truthful. But the third thing that Jeremiah did was he surveyed his own soul. See, the question we have to ask is, did I do anything that contributed to this? Is there anything that I personally can learn out of this? Is there anything that I personally need to change as a result of this? Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 through 42. Jeremiah says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. And you have not forgiven. Okay, what's up with that? We need to realize that Jeremiah is expressing his feelings. Jeremiah is not telling us what God does. Jeremiah is telling us how he feels. And in that moment, he's saying, God, we sure don't feel like you're forgiving our sins. God, you have abandoned us. That's what it feels like. And God, you have held our sins against us. And God, uh, we are just getting the backside of your hand in this moment. Hmm. It's important for us to be that honest with God. You know, to be able to say, God, this is how I'm feeling right now, man. This is my experience right now. God, this stinks. Here's the beauty of getting honest with God. Honesty fuels intimacy. 
You can't be intimate with someone with whom you're not willing to be honest. And God desires an intimate relationship with you and me. God desires honesty in our relationship. He doesn't want you to sugarcoat your prayers. He doesn't need you to make it sound Shakespearean. You know, oh, thou art mine father, these and thou. You know, he doesn't need, God doesn't need that. God's like, come on, man. Come on, I'm your dad. Just come to me. Come on. Get real. Just lay it out there. Just let all of the ugly nastiness that's in your soul, let it all come out. God's big enough to handle it. He wants it. In fact, when you and I get honest, here's what happens. Ready? When we get honest, God gets close. And that's Jeremiah's experience. Because just shortly after he records these words about not being forgiven and God being far away, Look what he says in verses 55 through 57. Jeremiah says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, do not fear. <laughs> oh, wow. So Jeremiah pours out all the poison, all of the ick. And he says, that's when God spoke to him and said, do not fear. Oh man, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I just love, I love the closeness of God and I, I love the way that he deals with us, even when it's not fun, you know? And uh, God loves it when you and I get honest um, with him, even though sometimes we feel sort of schizophrenic, and that's kind of what Jeremiah looks like, doesn't he? I mean, one minute God's abandoned him, and the next minute God says, don't fear, God comes close. And one minute he's, he feels all alone, and the next minute he feels like he has a best friend. And that seems like that's pretty typical in a time of sorrow. Our emotions go all over the place. But the cool thing about our relationship with Jesus is that we can actually go with him when our emotions go all over the place. Like Jesus is, you know, my emotions can't swing so wild that Jesus can't ride with them, you know? Like he is more than willing to go with me through all of that. But here's the deal, as, as Jeremiah surveys the damage to the city and as Jeremiah surveys the impact of the damage on him and his relationship with God, and Jeremiah starts to do a serious assessment of his own soul, Jeremiah discovers that the trouble that was happening in their city was that not actually happening to them, it was happening because of them. And that's a rather uncomfortable truth to take a look at. You see, the disclosure of my sins, it reveals that God is just in his actions. In chapter 1, verse 5, Jeremiah writes, The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Jeremiah, or yeah, 
forgive me. He says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. In chapter 3, verse 39, he says, Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? And in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. That's really intense, isn't it? God forgives, and God is patient, and God is compassionate, and God protects, and God is gracious. But then there comes a time when the consequences of our sin, the consequences even of our father's sins, of the generations before us, there comes a time when those consequences can be held back no longer. It's kind of like what's going on with my pickup truck right now. You know, I, I drive an, an old pickup truck and she always makes noises. But the other day she started making a new noise. So I got out and I lifted up the hood, you know, and I, I'm listening and uh, closed the hood. I don't do anything because I don't know what I'm doing. So I get back in the truck, say a prayer of protection, <laughs> drove off down the road. <laughs> you know, truck's still making the noise. <laughs> and every day I drive that truck and it doesn't break down is a gift. <laughs> because the day is coming. And I know right now you're like, come on, Rouse, you got to get that truck fixed. Yeah, I do, I do, I do. And eventually, if I don't get it fixed, there will be a consequence as a result of my inaction. And our sin has a way of doing that, doesn't it? From generation to generation and our own, God in his grace holds back the consequences. He does. He's kind and he, he's compassionate and he's patient and he's long suffering. And many of our sins, God has completely taken away the consequences for. But then there are other times where God in his grace and God in his wisdom says, it's time for that to come home. Jeremiah recognized that the time had come for he and his people to actually experience some of the consequence of their sin. You know, we Christians kind of have this um, weird, goofy, teaching that we've been doing for the last 40, 50, 60 years. We've communicated to the culture around us that Jesus is our savior. And that's, that's true, it's great, but, but we've preached it without sin. You see, without sin, there's no need for a savior. So when you tell people Jesus is the savior and you don't tell them about sin, their question is, he's a savior from what? what? Why, why do I need saving? You understand that the message of sin, it actually is what um, gives us the reason why we need a savior. The truth is the reason why Jesus had to die on a cross, the reason why God became a human being, robed himself in flesh, pinned himself to a cross, was, was because our sins were that horrific. There was nothing else. Do you understand that, that there was literally no other option for God? There was nothing else that could be done in order to forgive and cleanse and deal with 
our sin, my sin and the sins of all of humanity. The reason why the cross was so horrific was because our sin is that horrific. But the good news for you and me, friend, is that Jesus paid it. And if we put our faith in him, that he actually promises to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us and to make us right with himself. And my prayer for you today is that if you've not yet made that decision to trust Jesus as your savior, to trust Jesus, to take away that sin, friends, that you would do it today. Please do it today. Please start your friendship with Jesus. Now, don't wait another moment. Jeremiah took all of his bitterness. He took all of his anguish, nastiness. He took all of his shock and his horror. And Jeremiah ran straight into the arms of God. And this forms the very center of his poem. We Look at Lamentations chapter 3. I'll start with verse 19. He says this. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Go down to verse 31. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. That's good news. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. God does not willingly bring. So Jeremiah, after all of this, he finds Hope. He says, yet I bring this to mind and therefore I have hope. Here's where I find hope. I find hope not by ignoring pain. I find hope by facing it. I find hope not by ignoring the ugly truth. I find hope by facing the ugly truth. And so Jeremiah discovers in light of God's grace, hope. And he discovers the second thing, that there's a limit to pain, but there's not a limit to God's love. There's a limit to pain, but there's not a limit to God's love. He says this in verse, in verse 22, because of God's great love, we are not consumed. In other words, the pain has an expiration date. God's love does not you know, there's these two machines at the gym where I work out and um, I use them both, but I like one more than the other because it's nicer. <laughs> the elliptical um, is not a nice machine because I will sweat and nearly kill myself on that thing. And then when I get done with the workout, the LED screen says, pedal faster. And I'm like, what? You snot. I want to break you. It's like, I just killed myself on you and you're telling me pedal faster. 
Now the Stairmaster is another machine and it's much nicer. When I finish my workout on the Stairmaster, the LED screen, it says workout complete. And I go, oh, that feels good. Workout complete. My pain, my sorrow, my sweat, my toil is over. Good news, my friend. After the pain and the suffering and the heartache of this life is over, you hear the words of God, workout complete. You don't hear God coming at you going, pedal faster, suffer more, work harder. That's not the heart of God. God says, welcome home, workout complete. Listen, there's a limit to pain, there's an end to pain, but there's no end to the love of God. Jeremiah discovered that. Jeremiah said that with the love of God comes God's faithfulness and God's compassion. He said that his faithfulness, it's new every morning. It never runs out. In other words, every single morning, God hits the reset button. Every single morning. There's new mercies for today. And guess what? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, there's new mercies for Monday. And then on Tuesday when you wake up, there's new ones for Tuesday. God literally hits the reset button every 24 hours. His faithfulness, his mercy is without end. All that's good news. God took a vow of in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. He took that vow with you and he meant it and he keeps it. And every single day his faithfulness and his mercy is new and it's available for us. Jeremiah discovered that. The fourth thing Jeremiah discovered was God does not find pleasure in my pain. We read that in verse 33, that God does not willingly bring affliction to men. Like God does not get into pain. God is not the, the mean kid with the magnifying glass frying the human race like ants on the ground. Like that is not the character of God. He does not willingly bring pain. The truth is God is just as eager for you and me to get through this as we are. He really is. I, I believe that with all my heart. God, God cannot wait to end this current situation. I believe that, don't you? And so the heart of God is, okay, listen, we're in this. There's stuff we've got to do here. God's accomplishing something. But you understand, God is not like trying to drag this out. He can't wait for it to be over. He does not willingly bring affliction to men. Jeremiah learned that as he brought all of his crud to God. And then the fifth thing that Jeremiah discovered was that God is enough. He said that as a near the very beginning there, he says, God is my portion. That's the word that he used. He's my portion. You know, we're living during a time when meat is rationed and toilet paper is scarce. So we kind of understand portion. Portion means that God is the essential ingredient. He is the very thing I need, that's it. He is, bottom line, the essential ingredient. Hmm. Maybe if there's one thing that we learn in a difficult time, it's that. You know, when everything else gets shaken and sifted out and we come down really to the bedrock, we discover that's God. And so all of these other things we've trusted in and not even knowing that we were trusting in them, but they were, they were just, they were available. And so, you know, it's easy to hang on to them. 
And then those all get shaken away and we come down to the bedrock and we discover God is my portion. You know, uh, for me, I find that in this season, the struggle is between seeing it with my natural eyes and seeing it with my spiritual eyes. If I see this um, government shutdown with my natural eyes, I get upset, I get, I get angry, I get uh, nervous, I get afraid, I get judgmental, I get all kinds of bad things. And very quickly, I need to come back and see it with spiritual eyes. And when I see it with spiritual eyes, like Jeremiah, I can properly assess the actual damage. I, there's the losses. I can properly talk about the impact of that on my own soul. I can even look at myself and say, okay, here's some things that I need to change as a result of this. And then I run into the arms of God and I discover that God is faithful, even in the middle of this tough time. So friends, my prayer for you is that you would discover um, the joy of God in the middle of sorrow. Only a God as big as our God can actually put joy and sorrow in the same room together. He's amazing. I pray that you have an awesome week. I pray that you see God and experience God in ways that you never imagined this week. I pray that he fills your heart with joy. God bless you. I love you, my friend.